0: This is G-N-E, the podcast, golf and entrepreneurship with Bob Lampkin, president and CEO of Lampkin Groups.
1: Arnold Palmer was was um, uh, very proud to say was our, our company spokesperson for nearly 20 years and was a, uh, a dear friend and a mentor to me personally. Uh, and I was very fortunate, uh, which is one of the highlights of my career in the golf business for over 30 plus years was to spend a fair amount of time with Mr. Palmer and I learned uh, uh, so much about not only about golf but about business um, about how to, how to carry yourself right uh, Mr. Palmer was a, was a true mentor to me and I'm very fortunate to uh, have been exposed to him uh, as a young man.
0: Welcome back to G&E the podcast. This is episode 42, and as always, my name is Ryan Walker, and I am your host and the founder of GE magazine. This week's episode is brought to you by Link Soul. Link Soul is more of a philosophy than a brand, and John Ashworth and his incredible team in Oceanside, California are on a mission to reconnect people to the soul of the game. And they are doing this by being more of an experience than a clothing line. Their goal is to create products that they value and really to be a positive force in their community. And one way they are doing this is they recently partnered with the Warrior Canine Connection, who help our veterans with PTSD by donating 10% of their Link Soul Make Par Not War collection to the organization. To learn more and to check out their new Spring 18 line and the Make Par Not War collaboration, visit linksoul.com and use the code GE20 at checkout 20% 20% off your purchase. And now to our show. This week we have the pleasure of welcoming Bob Lampkin, the president and CEO of Lampkin Grips on the podcast. Bob is coming on the show to talk about the rich history of the company as he is the third generation to lead the business from when his grandfather started in his garage in 1925. And he's also coming on to talk about how they plan to continue to innovate the grip space in golf. So, Bob, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
1: Ryan, thanks for having me on.
0: It is my pleasure. I've been, like I said, been using Lampkin grips for most of my life, so uh, this is really cool opportunity for me to learn more about your company, and also for my listeners, who I'm sure a vast majority have used your grips as well. And so, before we get to yourself, do you mind taking a step back and telling us a little history behind Lampkin?
1: Well, I'll tell you what, the uh, Ryan, the the history between with Lampkin going way back. Um, for for our company is I'm actually part of a third-generational family business. Okay. And Lampkin was initiated way back in 1925 in Chicago, because we are a Chicago-based family, uh, in my grandfather's garage. We're actually the oldest grip company uh, in operation today. And the company was founded in actually leather wrap grips. Uh, back in those days, all the grips were made of leather and they were actually wrapped down the shaft.
0: That's fascinating. I think, uh, you know, not just the fact that it's a third generation company, but also that it started in your grandfather's garage and now it's grown into a global corporation um, that is, you know, not only the oldest name in grips, but also one of the biggest for sure. And so, do you mind taking us back a bit into you know, the days when your grandfather was just starting out in the garage and really how the company developed from there and uh, how they got the product in front of the right people?
1: Well, I tell you, it was, it's interesting because with my grandfather, well, he was working for a company called Chicago Rawhide. And way back in the day, a lot of the automotive parts, not just in the upholstery uh, or the interior of the cars, but the seals for the engines and all that kind of stuff back in the day were made out of leather. And my grandfather was working for this company, and Wilson Sporting Goods came in, and they said, "Hey, our golf division is—we're looking to put a leather grip on on a golf club, and can you guys help us?" Um, the powers to be over at Chicago Right Height said, "You know what? We're not really interested. It's small industry." Uh, so, but my grandfather who was in the room said, Hey, you know what, l- let me try this. Cause I'm a golfer and l- let me see how this, uh, how, how this is going to work out. So my grandfather actually started tinkering, um, with, um, leather grips and cutting them and skiving them and making them tacky through different materials. And that's really, um, from a startup, that's exactly what back then, I'm sure in the 20s, they didn't call them a startup, but that's exactly what it was. It started as a small, passionate piece of business for my grandfather, who was a golfer, to make the product better. And that's how Leather Grips came to be on golf clubs.
0: So, so you're saying at that time, they were not in the Leather Grip business. It was just that Wilson came to them, was like, hey, do you mind giving this a try? And like you're saying, your grandfather just ran with it. And I guess, you know, from there they noticed, I'm assuming that they, you know, saw that they were on to something, like a new opportunity.
1: Right. My, My grandfather actually changed the category for golf grips back in the 1920s, going from various types of materials. Because the manufacturers of golf clubs back then were really struggling on getting consistency in the grip, whether it was a wax or a dip molded material, but there wasn't a lot of consistency and leather grips, what they found out through my grandfather brought a very um, systematic and consistent size and feel to the grip of the golf club.
0: Wow. And so, you know, like you're saying, he changed, you know, the industry quite a bit and something we love to talk about, whether we're winding back you know, to the 30s or even if we're talking now with a more modern startup is those early days and really kind of scaling a company from, you know, that idea like that. They saw that they were leather grips into you know, more of a global corporation. And so how did that process go about? Because like, like you're saying, you know, they had this opportunity and then now, you know, we're here, Lampkins Worldwide.
1: Well, the the process of of, of leather grips was very uh, is a very tedious one uh, to actually take a, a a hide from from a calf or a cow and then go through the process of making it compatible for 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 leather grips that would apply to a, you know a a sporting goods implement and by the way. When we started, uh, when when my grandfather started with the leather grips, that also then dovetailed into the secondary market was in um, tennis tennis rackets and racquetball sports. In the early days, they were all made of leather, Um, and and so we actually were were producing both leather grips for golf clubs and leather grips for tennis and racket sports as well.
0: Okay, that's a that's a good move. Uh, sounds like your grandfather was quite the smart man. He, um, you know, not only conquering golf grips, but also doing that in racket sports. It's that's really cool to hear. And so, you guys are, you know, clearly doing, you know, great with leather at this time. But eventually, the company evolves, and you start, you know, making rubber grips. When did this happen? And then, also at this time, was there much competition with Lampkin?
1: Well, the 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 early competitor for Lampkin and the leather grips. What was it was a company called Faywick Leather, and they were making calfskin leather for both the same market segments that Lampkin was was supplying to. So we had there were two main competitors. It would be Lampkin and Faywick, and again, like like anything else, there is always innovation and change within the categories, uh, no matter you know what industry we're we we're, we're discussing. So what happened was is that. There was, you know, companies that came out and they started working with rubber, uh, rubber composites, right? So the industry quickly found, they quickly found that the ease of application, the feel of the rubber, right, and the cost was much cheaper than leather. So Lambkin, uh, specifically with my father, uh, was driving to his dad, to say, hey, look at, we need to get into this injection molded rubber rubber um, category, because leather is going to become obsolete at some point in time. So, so the the evolution of Lamkin went from leather to uh, to rubber injection molded, and my father was 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 primary was solely responsible for making that change.
0: Yeah, that is fascinating to hear. And really from the perspective of your father coming into the business, you know, with a little bit of a younger viewpoint into the industry and seeing that rubber was a better application for grips and really charging for it and making that change. I just found that to be kind of a cool side note. But really on this topic at this time, was Lampkin the pioneer in rubber grips throughout the golf industry?
1: Well, you know what? It's interesting in our in our in the golf industry, the uh, the supply chain is really a critical success factor into the manufacturers. So the manufacturers were were always looking to make their suppliers better, right? And as a supplier to to our industry, what we want to be is good listeners. And the rubber grip was a classic example of our customers going back to my father and saying, hey. There's the, uh, we're getting samples of this injection-molded rubber grip, as crude as they may have been back in the days, mm-hmm. and they go, we really like this, and we want you to develop this for us, right? So, so my, my dad really understood that there was going to be a rebirth. I call them rebirths in the category, and we were going to change from what we were traditionally doing to a new concept in injection molded rubber grips, uh, and sometimes those changes are, are a little bit more difficult to um, receive. you know, as you can imagine in a family business, my grandfather thought that no one would play anything but a, a leather grip because he started it in leather, yeah, and my dad was prodding him along, so in de- say, telling his dad that we have to change and evolve. To, to, to stay competitive. And I think that's really what the key is, is the transformation from leather to rubber by my dad uh, kept the company relevant and competitive in the marketplace.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a great point you mentioned there, that you know, no matter how big or small or how young or old a company is, that you have to be willing to innovate and make changes as a marketplace develops to survive and you know, really thrive and continue to grow. But at this point in golf, now, I'm kind of curious what the landscape was like at this time. Was it, you know, as important as it is now to have PGA Tour and LPGA Tour ambassadors for your brand?
1: Well, no, it wasn't as important back then as it is today because the game, the game wasn't as. Um, you, you wouldn't be able to see. You read about a lot of things that was go- what were going on with, with the golf professionals, but the PGA Tour. Um, and professional golf was really a secondary option to, to the, to, to the country club or the private segment of, of, golf, right? So there just wasn't the social media. There wasn't the news outlets. Back in, in the early days of, of a Gene Saracen or a Ben Hogan, um, Byron Nelson, right? Basically, the grips that they played with were just supplied by the clubs that came, that were sent to them. Right. And it wasn't until to be honest with you, it wasn't really until Arnold Palmer okay. where golf became more mainstream and viewed where the golf professional actually can add value with the product that you're producing to the golf industry.
0: Yeah. I mean, Arnold basically allowed sponsorship to become a thing with professional golfers. So I'm sure a lot of PJ tour players now are, are very thankful for that. But did you all have an opportunity to work with Arnold uh, via Lampkin?
1: Arnold Palmer was, I'm was, um, uh, very proud to say, was our, our company spokesperson for nearly wow. 20 years and was a, uh, a dear friend and a mentor to me personally. Uh, and I was very fortunate, uh, which is one of the highlights in my career being in the golf business for over 30-plus years, was to spend a fair amount of time with Mr. Palmer. And I learned uh, uh, so much about not only about golf, but about business, um, about how to how to carry yourself, right? Uh, Mr. Palmer was a was a true mentor to me, and I'm very fortunate to uh, have been exposed to him uh, as a young man.
0: That's incredible, and I think this is a perfect segue into how you got involved with the family business, and we'll come back to that in a second. Because since you just mentioned Mr. Palmer, and I feel like everyone who's had the chance to meet him, you know, has a similar takeaway: is that he affected their life in one way or another, and so. For yourself, are there any stories or lessons you learned from him that uh, you could share with us?
1: Well, you know, Mr. Palmer was very um, uh, upfront and as a person that everyone that he came in contact with uh, in the golf business, right, whether we were at a dinner function or we were playing in a pro-am or pulling into the parking lot of a golf course, Um once you stepped into the realm of the golf industry, you were representing your family, your company, your brand and there there it was It was very, very clear to me as a young man that I had to carry myself in that in that vein. Uh, a good example is that if i 'm out playing with a friend of mine in a um, his member guest uh, for example i 'm going up to play uh Hazeltine with one of my good friends as a member there. People know and are familiar with the Lankin brand, and I have a responsibility to carry uh, myself properly um, and treat everybody with dignity and respect, uh, no matter what their position is in, in, the, uh, in the golf industry. I think that's really what I took away um, as a, a mainstay or a bedrock from, from Mr. Palmer.
0: Yeah, that is a phenomenal point. I think that can be very helpful to people just getting started. And it's really something I've learned myself is that your brand is really a representation of who you are and how you carry yourself does not just you know affect your relationships, but it can also affect your business and how it proceeds. So I think that is just a great point. So thank you for sharing that. But like I said, I think this is a perfect segue into how you got involved with the family business. So when did you start your journey with Lampkin to, uh, you know become one day president and ceo
1: well it's interesting because again we're uh in our third generation i have uh my dad was running the company uh, there were i've had three brothers in the business and i was actually the last family member to come into the business uh back in my very late 20s or even 30 and i Took a different road in college. Uh, I had, uh, I wanted to pursue a career in, in federal government in law enforcement. And uh, but I, I was interesting because during the course of my post uh, college years, I was very uh, involved in sports, but not really in golf. And okay. I became very attuned to playing golf because it kept me competitive and things that I could do outside of organized sports in high school and college. Um When I came to work for my dad, um one of our sales um, guys that my dad would, had under his employee had left the company and he called me and he said, Hey um I need a sales guy and back then, I was selling different types of uh, various industries outside of golf and whatnot and wasn 't making a lot of money and was young and had a you know uh, a young child at home and my dad said, Hey, can you come and and, and try this' And I always tell people that I quickly became attuned to I loved being with people. I loved selling and representing not just Lampkin, but representing my father, um, you know, as his son. And um, it was very apparent to me within a short period of time that the the short stay was going to become my passion for over (laughs) 30 plus years. So it's the longest part time job I've ever had. (laughs)
0: that is that is incredible and so now you are you're running it you're you know managing a you know global company and uh that's got to be quite the challenge and something i think our listeners really enjoy about this podcast is not just hearing the stories but also kind of learning how people you know take advantage of of their time and and stuff like that and so you know for you how do you structure your day or do you have any productivity tips for you know getting the most out of you know managing such a big business
1: well, first and foremost, you know, when you are, whether you're be just beginning your career in the golf industry, uh, no matter what the segment that, that really interests you, you have to have a passion for it. Right? You, you really have to love what your, your, your journey is taking you on. Uh, mm-hmm. The second most important part for, for the listeners is that you, you have to surround yourself with really good people because no matter what anyone says, your success or failure is predicated on the people that are working with you during this journey, right? So you want to have people excelling and growing and challenging you as the owner um, to evolve and get better. And if you don't, then you'll start to stagnate. Right? Uh, because nothing stays the same in the industry. It's a, it's a continuous improvement model, and you have to be you really have to to look at what's next, uh, where the opportunities are, and you're not going to make the right decision every time, right. But you want to make sure that the wrong decisions aren't catastrophic.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think what you said there is just such a common theme on this show. It's amazing how many guests come on and talk about the importance of not only the people they surround themselves with, but the team they're able to develop and grow with. And the fact that, you know, you know, for myself, it's this has been a lesson I've learned recently. Uh, we're a young startup and recently brought on a couple of people. We're a team of three now. And it's amazing what you're able to accomplish when you get the right people on board. So I think that is just a great point. But on the topic of Lampkin, like you said, this is a growth industry and your company is always innovating. And so do you mind talking to us about some of the latest innovations that Lampkin is bringing to the market?
1: Well, you know, this is a great segue into into the product line for 2018 for us, Ryan is, is again on the continuous improvement model. Is that for the last 12 to 18 months, we as a, as a group have challenged our engineering group, our rubber chemists um, on the development side to really bring a breakthrough technology and material. Um, I've been saying for many years now that the next really innovative uh, segment of the golf grip category will will not just be a different paint fill or a different pattern on a grip. It'll actually be the material. And what we are fortunate to have with our 2018 swinging grip launches of the Sonar, of the Comfort Plus Grip, and the TS-1 is that we have developed a material um, that is a hybrid material that was used outside of the golf grip category, applied it to the grips, And then we also were experimenting with the surface patterns and the texturing of the the grip and the size. And when you combine all three of those elements, we we truly believe that we have an innovative new product in the category um, that has been very well received. um, And we're actually now line extending that into the putter grips as well. So what we're excited about is in 2018 is that we're bringing a functionally better product to the golf grip category that hasn't been there before. So that, that's really what we're excited about here for 18 and 19.
0: Okay. And so for you, from your perspective, is that what you believe separates, you know, Lampkin from the competition?
1: Well, so yeah, exactly. Because what we have is what the listeners from my company, what they would come to know if they were sitting with me over lunch is that what behind the scenes in our company, the amount of dollars um, uh, of millions of dollars that we pour into r and d development, right, the functional aspects of making the product categories uh, better to the player that's that's really a big part of the success factor that we have. And I'll go back what I alluded to earlier in our conversation. You have to have the best players on your team that are, gonna, that are actually going to have those successes realized. And that's what we have here.
0: Well, it sounds to me like you have just instilled a remarkable culture throughout your company to not just push for innovation, but also to have the customer first in your employees' minds with the goal to create the best possible grip you can. And on the topic of grips, I feel like it is you know often an overlooked piece of equipment. Then you know players that play a lot uh, would disagree with this statement because they keep their grips fresh every couple of months. They certain players like certain layers of tape underneath to get in you know a feel for the club. And so, from your perspective, you know why would you disagree with this statement that uh, you know the grip is not an important piece of equipment when you know matter of fact it is.
1: Well, there, there's been there's uh, there's been a, an awareness category for us with uh, with golf grips for many years trying to get. The, the, the core golfers to regrip grip their clubs um, more often and to actually uh, grip fitting is, is also a part of it, of getting the right size grip that, you, that, that, that fits you. Uh, I always say that's 50% feel and 50% uh, science to grip fitting, but, um, it's, it's been a struggle over the years to, to, to get the community, the golf community from a consumer perspective to really understand the importance of regripping their clubs. I will tell your listeners out there, I spend a fair amount of time out on tour with players and PGA tour players and golf professionals. They, they really, really pay attention to their golf grips, um, as, as part of, their equipment maintenance and the performance uh on the golf course
0: yeah and something to add to that too is for competitive players the actual positioning of your hands on the grip is arguably the most important fundamental in the swing it's something that they practice endlessly and you know the pursuit of your perfect grip is something that is very important to you know a competitive player so you think it would be something that would be able to translate into the equipment side of things but on, you know, we've talked a lot about your grips and the technology behind them and stuff like that, but I'd love to talk a bit about the vision. And so what are you seeing for Lampkin three, five, 10 years down the line?
1: Well, that's a great question. Uh, and what I tell a lot of uh, people when I'm talking about this specific segment about our company and they say, how did you, how did you make it 95 plus years? What, what, what happened, and how did the company evolve and stay in business? And and what I say is, with each generation, um, there's a rebirth um, in the category. So what what we try to do, or what what my focus and my mantra is at with with our our engineering group, uh, our marketing, our sales group, is we have to keep innovating. You, we we have to keep going to the industry with with new thoughts. Right, new grips, new development, and by the way, not all of them are going to be accepted right but but you 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 know w- there's going to be you know a certain percentage of grips that we bring to a customer, and they're going, you know what that's not that's not really kind of what we're looking there. The grip is either too heavy or too it's too light or it's too long or too short, but what we do is we keep putting these things out there, and you'd be surprised. all you have to do is, is have one or two that stick. And that becomes a a huge success story. So innovation, being a good listener, um, and really watching where the market is going and seizing the opportunities that are presented to you are very, very important.
0: Absolutely. And I think what you just said there is a perfect segue into, you know, how we usually like to kind of close out these interviews and and really just the takeaway overall. And so, you know, you've given our listeners a ton of insights, not only into the history of Lampkin, but also your thoughts really into business and entrepreneurship. And, you know, something I know everyone really values is a piece of advice from someone who has been there and done that. And so, you know, maybe for the listener who's just getting started on their venture or just a year in or something like that, what kind of piece of advice would you have for them from an entrepreneurship standpoint?
1: Well, the first thing that I would say to the listeners, uh, if they're going into this startups and entrepreneurship, is number one, you have to have a passion for it. You just have to have a passion for it. And if you have a passion for what you're doing, right, success will come to you um, at at some point in time. But don't worry about all the other things that happen with business. Stick to your passion Surround yourself with people that can help you fill in the gaps and don't get too discouraged because everyone, you know, can get discouraged about, you know, your failures because you're going to fail. You just have to just you, you, you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off and you get back at it. And if you can do that. Chances are real good you're going to be successful.
0: Well, you just keep hitting the nail on the head with all these reoccurring themes, and it's amazing, you know, how much this comes up. Is it's just not just the fact of being patient, but it's also persevering through all the failures because there's going to be a lot. And these are lessons that, you know, I myself am learning every day as well. So, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and not only share your insights into Lampkin, but also into the world of business and the golf industry itself. So. Bob, really appreciate it, and uh, you know, thanks again for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me on, and I hope that uh, a little bit of what what goes into making uh, golf grips can uh, help your listeners down the line.
0: I'm sure it will, and I think uh, everyone's really going to enjoy this interview. So it was my pleasure, and you know, thanks again, Bob, and to our listeners, thank you everyone for tuning into this week's episode of G and E the podcast. Make sure to go over to our website g-n-e-magazine.com spelled g-a-n-d-e magazine.com and check out the feature to go along with this week's episode so head on over to the website subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher subscribe to the online newsletter which comes out every Friday so you never miss new content and inspiring entrepreneurs and golfers from around the world and once again my name is Ryan Walker and I thank you for listening today